You're listening to Geek Jabber Live, the show where the main host has a face for radio and a voice for silent movies. Strap yourselves in and dial up the disappointment. Welcome to Geek Jabber Live. Yes, I've turned up the disappointment to 11 for episode 5 of Geek Jabber Live. I'm not going to make any more dad jokes because, quite frankly, I couldn't be bothered writing any for the start of this show. The names kind of speaks for itself. We have myself, as normal, Mr. Tim, and over in a remote location somewhere between here and somewhere else, we have uh, Nick as well. Hello, Nick. <laughs> oh, thanks for having us, Tim. <laughs> yes. You can, you can tell I didn't write anything and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants for the introduction here, can't you? That's not like you at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, just... Um, so basically with today's episode, uh, we're basically doing retro gaming and just going over some old games and feeling nostalgic and all that sort of stuff. The reason is, um, next week I have dedicated, um, what old words in a moment, I've dedicated the site to retro week, which basically Mm -hmm. means anything that I'm going to be reviewing is going to be retro in some way. So sort of games from the 90s and possibly early 2000s that are still available in some form or have been remade or you can still get. Awesome. So, yes, um, I'll be, I've got uh, four of them written already and I'll be publishing through throughout the week and I'll be writing more throughout the week as well when I have the time. Excellent. So I suppose, uh, seeing as we're talk, uh, talking about retro gaming, I suppose we should uh, reminisce about the games we used to play on PC growing up. Oh, jeez. You're going back a long way. You're making me feel old, Tim. <laughs> hey, uh, I, think I'm a, I think I'm older than you are. Probably not by much, <laughs> but... <laughs> no, not by much, no. Yes. Oh, dear. So what are, what are we going to talk about? Um, so I was just... I'm going to sort of, this is sort of more the reminiscing type stream. So just reminiscing about what we played growing up. So um, I've covered before Wolfenstein 3D. Um, So I reviewed on the site that's already. So that's a review that's a couple of weeks old. I remember playing that growing up. Remember playing Lemmings. Mm Mm-hmm which was one of the big games I knew on PC that we actually had in our own computer. Yeah. Um, did you do much during that sort of 90s period? Look, I, I tell you what, I must admit I'm not much of a gamer. I was probably more of a gamer back in the 90s than I am now. But uh, I think the two games that sort of resonate with me are SimCity 2000 and Theme Park. They're, they're the two games that I absolutely loved when yeah. i was a kid and growing up oh. um and we're, we're talking early to mid 90s on pc uh back then and i, I know sim city goes way back before that with the uh, old mac classics and, and yeah i was going to say i've actually played the original sim city and yeah yeah and that was uh before color even i think it was black and white the original or grayscale the original yeah. sim city the uh on the mac version it was definitely grayscale because it was a while before they actually released a color Macintosh back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I had fond, 
fond memories uh, growing up with SimCity 2000, particularly at school, actually. Uh, we had a four... It would have been a 486 uh, PC back then. And, um, uh, you know, we had SimCity 2000. That was my first uh, exposure to that game. Uh, was yeah. back in, in primary school. Uh, funnily enough, though, I actually own the network edition of SimCity 2000, which I've never, to this day, played... Um, but my understanding is that it actually supports TCP IP and there should be no reason why if you've got a machine or a VM or something that can run it, uh, you couldn't route that over to the internet and, um, you know, do the port forwards and that sort of thing and actually yeah. get multiplayer SimCity going. Yeah. Well, well, that's one thing I'm actually, uh, stumbling across a little bit, um, nowadays because, uh, some of the games I'm actually doing reviews for. Um, uh, retro in that the original versions came out in the 90s but mm -hmm. things like for instance um, Age of Empires has recently the whole series has uh, been re-released and redone and one of the things they've actually um, made a big deal out of is actually integrating modern multiplayer into the older game so by that i mean you know they're integrating it with steam i believe they're integrated with xbox and yeah. there's a certain amount of crossplay, so you can actually have modern more modern multiplayer mm -hmm. um through and even crossplay between steam and xbox but it's still essentially the original game and the advantage of that is people don't really have to bother anymore with those games about having yeah. to set up the port forwarding and all that stuff. It takes care of that for you. Yeah. Which well, I, think... I mean, you know, SimCity 2000 was only ever designed to, to run on a, a LAN sort of setup. But uh, I, I guess with the internet the, the, as fast as it is these days, there'll be no reason why... Look, in fact, most people's internet connections are, are a lot quicker than what the LAN was back then. Uh, you, yeah. You're talking... 10 megabit per second if you're on ethernet and uh, if you're on token ring it was even less than that so yeah well depending yeah. i think token ring the earliest implementation was four megabit then they took it to 16. Mm. so yeah look out yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh no keen to play it i've had uh i've had the box sitting in my office for quite some number of years and i've never actually played it so uh, perhaps uh, you and I can get a game going on Twitch at, at some point. Yeah, that I'd love to actually see if we can actually get that going because, yeah, yeah I've played the original SimCity. That was yeah. a great game. I've also played the standalone version of SimCity 2000. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, yeah they, they were both fantastic games. Um, I do have a copy of SimCity 4 Deluxe in my gaming library, but apparently oh, nice. that's just not as... I haven't played it yet, but that's apparently not as good as the original versions. Yeah, look, I did play the more modern versions of SimCity. I just I couldn't get into them, as well as the old 2000 and the 2000 SE, the special edition. Um, I don't know. There was just something nostalgic about that, that old top-down layout. They... Look, don't get me wrong, the graphics look great in, in the, the later versions, but um, it wasn't the same game. Yeah. Uh, I think um, there's a, the, the problem that they had with that particular series where they got to the point where the game itself was brilliant. 
but they were trying to shoehorn it into the limited graphics capabilities of the game of the day. Yeah. And nowadays they're just um, adding extra graphics onto it, but they can't really add anything to the gameplay because it was already pretty much perfect by the time, particularly yeah. by the time they got to SimCity 2000. Yeah, definitely. And look, at the end of the day, a game doesn't need to be overly complex to be good. And I think this is one really good example of where it did what it said on the box and it did it well. Sure, it didn't have a lot of bells and whistles and it certainly didn't have you know 3D graphics or 3D acceleration, but it looked damn good for what it was. And yeah. the fact that you could run it on a you know 386 machine, uh, even better. Yeah, well, that's interestingly sort of uh, a bit of a thing I bring up in some of my reviews. So one of the other ones I'm doing is the original version of Carmageddon. Mm. And yeah, it was very yeah. common, like this would have been from about 97, 98. And the yeah. problem they had back in those days is 3D acceleration on a PC was a bit of a, a, bit of a mess, like, well, up until about that 97, 98 time period, uh, because there was no real standardization between the different implementations. Yeah. And, you know, you know, we, we sometimes criticize Microsoft, but um, this is one of the things where I think it actually gave them a bit, a bit of a, all the manufacturers a bit of a kick in the ass was when yep. they started pushing DirectX. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that, no, it was all standardized at that point, yeah. which basically meant that you you didn't have all these different implementations to worry about when you develop games. And I sort of remi was reminded of that because one of the comments I make is that uh, the game actually runs at 640 by 480 and calls that high resolution. Mm. And I think part of that comes from the fact that... Um, no, they could either go um, sort of the complexities of redeveloping the game for each standard yeah. or just have a lower resolution and just develop the game once and have it run acceptably on all the different uh, implementations. Yeah, it's interesting you actually mentioned Carmageddon and I was, I was actually a bit of a fan of that game. I, I wouldn't say it was my favourite game uh, growing up, but um, I certainly have fond memories of it. But interestingly, Carmageddon... Uh, was released uh, in the late 90s, and it was actually first released for MS-DOS, uh, funnily enough. And, and people forget that MS-DOS was a big gaming platform, huge gaming platform. But um, it really pushed the boundaries of um, what we know as, I guess, 3D acceleration now to, or even back then, to, to what Carmageddon actually was. So Car Carmageddon was never uh, a 3D accelerated game. It was all 2D graphics uh, until uh, I believe there was an expansion pack that came out for it, uh, which then added 3D uh, acceleration support. But the actual game natively uh, without that was, was all 2D. Um, and, uh, you know, you certainly back then, you know, we're talking 97, 98 when that, when that game sort of came out and became popular. We had 3D acceleration then. You had your Voodoo cards, or you certainly your Voodoo 1s and your Voodoo Banshees and that sort of thing. Uh, and then you had Creative Labs obviously doing their, their own thing as well. 
but um I, I guess arguably the the most popular 3d fx card that came out was the the voodoo 2 and that wasn't until 1998 and and by then carmageddon, carmageddon was already established so it, it was it sort of had to play catch up a little bit but geez it really did well for for what was essentially a 2d yeah. game well interestingly enough when i do make a comment about this theory they actually did re-release um carmageddon a couple of years ago so it went under the name carmageddon re reincarnation but they changed it to come um, carmageddon max damage it's yeah. basically the the same maps but the graphics are actually modern. They've completely redone the gaming engine, completely redone the graphics. So it is actually a modern game now. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, look, I, I believe there's even um, smartphone versions of Carmageddon nowadays. I, I don't yeah. know what the gameplay is like, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny that they're still developing a game well into the 2000s and the 2010s, um, you know, a game that was released in the 90s. Yeah, well, Age of Empires seems to be the same one. So, um, Age of Empires One is one I'm reviewing, and it could pass as a modern game today. And yeah. uh, Age of Empires Two, in particular, still has somewhat of a following because, like, one is the one Age of Empires One is the one that started it. But mm -hmm. the marketing behind Age of Empires 2 means that's the one that people remember. Yeah. And so that that's the one people grew up playing and there's still quite quite a bit of a community still playing it. Yeah. And and, and talking about graphics and things like that, um, and, and I mentioned Theme Park before and that, that was a great game. I don't know if you ever played that, Tim, but um, Theme Park was, it did so well with, with the 2D graphics that were available uh, back then. And we're talking the early 90s. I remember the demo came uh, coming out on one single floppy disk. And the full version obviously came out on um, several disks or, you know, CD-ROM. But, um, like, even that game w w was phenomenal. And uh, I think, uh, especially Theme Park, or games like Theme Park, they were released on so many different platforms. Like, you, you obviously had your DOS versions. Um, but... Uh, it's easy to forget that they it came out on the Amiga, it came out on uh, the Mega Drive, uh, even Mac OS uh, had a version of Theme Park as well. There were tons of them. Yeah. Well, one of the ones I actually had a bit of fun reviewing was, um, and this was along the same lines, Dave the Tentacle. Now, this was released Oh, that's in, ringing a bell. <laughs> yeah, that was released in 1992. It has been re-released a couple of years back with better graphics, but it was released in 92. And it was, I believe, one of the first games to actually come on CD-ROM. Wow. So there was a disc version, there was a CD version. And back in those days, you know, CD-ROMs were a brand new thing in PC. Like, there was... This was about the time... They were starting to see widespread adoption, mm -hmm. and so you know to have this was one of the first games to actually make use of that hardware, and they've actually done it really well because um, the interface is basically a points-and-click style adventure game. Yeah. So they're not really pushing the 3D. They've sort of simplified it down to a point-and-click interface. Yeah. Um, so the action is a little bit slower. 
but it basically means that because there's not as much of it, they can amp up the rest of the graphics. So by 92 mm. standards, the graphics are phenomenal. Mm. I think the early versions of the um, uh, the game were... It was sort of cartoony. It reminds me a lot of... Um, oh, what what was that, that really crude game? Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it now. Put me on the spot. Uh, it'll come back to me i'm sure but uh it, yeah, it was sort of cartoony and you had scenes and things like that and you'd click click your way around it yeah uh, Le- leisure suit larry that's what i yeah was yeah so i think day of the tentacle was very similar to that interestingly enough though and and you, you're right day of the tentacle was very early on and, and cd roms were certainly not popular in pc back then but um uh mist was another good game uh, that reminds me of, of CD-ROM games and that only came out a few months after that um, that game but they went with a different tactic They so they 3D rendered their scenes uh, you know frame by frame scene by scene uh, it was actually written in uh, Apple HyperCard originally and uh, they painstakingly created the graphics the audio uh, everything like that I remember watching a the making of Mist, and it's a great view. Um, you know, jump on YouTube; it's on there. But uh, how they made Mist, and, and a lot of the technological challenges they had to overcome. For example, back then when CD-ROMs first came out, they were only single speed. You're talking, you know, maximum 150 kilobytes per second that you could read off a optical media. Um, that's not a lot of data, and particularly when you're talking about video, you're talking about 3D. Uh, large 3D graphics, 3D, not 3D accelerated, but actual still frames and, and things like that. Yep. Um, the, the way they overcame that limitation was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and they actually spread out the data on the CD-ROM in such a way that the laser didn't actually have to move too far on the CD. So it reduced that seek time. Uh, it, w- it was just amazing. Like the amount of engineering that went into games back then. Yeah. Was... Well, that, that also reminds me of... Um, 8088 Corruption and 8088 Domination. So the story, um, this is sort of veering off into non-gaming territory, but um, 8088 Corruption was basically a project designed to really push the limits of what the original IPM PC with CGA and a Sound Blaster upgrade could actually do so they got um, a piece of video ran it through a particular encoder to basically um, encode it in such a way that it would run in real time in text mode on the, as an IBM model 5150 with CGA mm-hmm. and they got it working they originally um, didn't think they could do the same thing with graphics mode mm. until they had a bit of a brainwave and basically did the same thing in graphics mode with 8088 domination. And yeah, by today's standards, the, um, the graphics are awful, but you know, given what this is something that machine was never intended to do, it's pretty bloody amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you raise a good point, and I guess it moves on to our next topic in terms of other machines, apart from you know your PC and your PC compatibles. Was 
um, the other architectures out there, and there were, there were tons of them. Like you, yeah. these days, you you're pretty much limited to Intel based PCs. You've obviously got your old old school Macs, which were Intel based. Um, but uh, you know, you got ARM and you know a small handful of other things. But back then, you had such a choice, and even if you had a PC compatible, it wasn't always that compatible either. Yeah. Well, because yeah, I remember like the two other dominant platforms that I remember growing up. One was the Commodore VIC-20, um, which yeah. I received after my cousin upgraded to a Commodore 64. And yeah, remember the games I used to play on that? Frogger and Omega Race were the two big ones I remember. Yeah. And those were both cartridge-based games um, and given the limitations of that machine, they were phenomenally good. Mm. Like given that was what, 1981, 82, and specifically designed to be a low cost computer. Mm -hmm. Um, the other ones, the other one I remember was, uh, and this was the ones we used at school with the BBC micro, which you know, the big one on that was granny's garden which they've re-released for Windows now and is still an active educational game where you basically uh, go through a... No, you, you basically have to go on a story to try and retrieve two lost little children from, uh, from the evil witch or something like that. And yeah. the amazing thing in that game, that was written for a machine that had 32 kilobytes of RAM, used almost all of it, um, and was written in BASIC. Like, well, which a lot of games were. Um, there are even games these days being made for uh, Commodore um, machines today by developers, and, and they're all written in BASIC as well. Yeah. Well, interestingly, and I should... Uh, I should go on a bit of a tangent here because um, I'm sure you've seen the 8-Bit guy who does, who's an American-based YouTuber. Yep, that's who, uh, David Murray. Yeah, David Murray. And he's done a whole series of uh, machines or, or a whole series of videos on the Commodore machine. So he's pretty much covered everything except the Amiga. And he goes through the and you can sort of see him restoring stuff you can um, see the machines actually working um, mm. but interestingly enough um, like yeah he's also known for a couple of other things so yeah. at the moment he's building a commander x16 computer mm -hmm. which would basically be like you know, get get the 8 bit commodore machines give them all the bells and whistles, like what is the best sort of 8-bit style machine that you could possibly make and he's trying to build it. But he's also got two Commodore games, one still in production, but one has been released. So one is Planet X3, yes. which is a game he's developed with a couple of others that is, I believe is currently on sale for the Commodore machines. And MS-DOS as well. So Planet X3 is actually the third game in a series. So yeah. he started with Planet X1 for the VIC-20. Um, yeah. And I believe he went on to produce a Commodore 64-based game as well. 
uh, which is Planet X2. Uh, and this is just a few of the games. Like, he's um, also created uh, Attack of the Petsky Robots. Yeah, that's, uh, that one, I've, I think that's been released now. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Uh, so I've got a, co- a copy of the Planet series of games. I haven't got the um, at- Attack of the Petsky Robots, but uh, I have seen the videos. Yeah. So the fact that no games are being developed for these machines still is amazing. Like those yeah. machines have still got a lot of life left in them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, what was your... Did you ever um, grow up with games apart from uh, PC-based games? Um, so for me, it was at home, it was the VIC-20. So um, the two ones I remember were Frogger and Omega Race. And at school, it was the BBC Micros. Nice, nice. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, as a kid, I grew up... um, So my first ever uh, introduction to computing was the Sharp MZ800, which was a Z80-based... I wouldn't call it a PC. It wasn't a PC, but it was a computer. Uh, And that was uh, released by Sharp Corporation back in the... uh, I think it was 85 it was released. I think... um, is that one of those MS-DOS a little bit compatible computers? It wasn't even that. It, I think it basically booted into BASIC, um, similar to the Commodores and the Ataris and things like that. But, um, that, yeah, they definitely weren't DOS compatible at all. And um, But, you, you know, you would load games off uh, Flippy Disk back then. So they weren't floppy disks, they were Flippy Disks. And uh, I'm not sure how much they held. I think it might have been a couple of hundred kilobytes per yeah. side or something like that. Yeah. They also had a tape deck, so similar to the yeah. Commodore machine. Yeah, so but, for those that are not familiar with the flippy disk, um, it's a term back from the five and a quarter inch disk drives. Whereas some of the drives, like in the PC, were double-sided usually. But um, the ones on, say, the Commodore machines were usually single-sided. So what a lot of people would do would cut out another right protect notch and you'd flip the disc over mm. and you get another basically a, another different disc and those those discs were basically termed flippy discs. So yeah, and I believe um, the discs that the MZ eight hundred used they weren't um, you know normal three and a half inch size disc. I, I think they were three inch from memory yeah. or like. 2.8 inch or something like that. they were they were a weird size and you certainly don't see the disk drives anymore but um yeah, yeah. um well but so, sort I, of i grew up with uh flappy on on the mz800 <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that, that, that was pretty yeah. much the other well uh, interestingly the one thing that ibm introduced that i wish had taken off was the 2.88 megabyte floppy drive the rest of the industries um settled on 1.44 IBM brought out a custom 2.88 megabyte floppy drive and I don't think it really took on much outside the IBM machines which is no. a bit bit of a shame I think part of it was down to the reliability of the drives and the disks mm. but um given how were, were long... they backwards compatible with the like existing sort of 2 meg slash 1.44 meg disks yeah they, they were they... they could still read the older formats yeah, but you uh, could format them at the higher capacity. Yeah, so you need a partic- particular extended density disk to do it. 
Um, and I think that's where the problem was. Those discs weren't particularly reliable, which is why it never gained widespread adoption. But the reason I kind of wish it had was given that floppy drives were really in use up until the turn of the century, well mm. after the point that they should have been replaced with something better. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been good to have a higher capacity format that was standardised looking back at how long we know that now lasted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I- So, modern versions of games... Oh, sorry. Modern versions of old games. Yeah. What would you like to see here? Uh, the big one I would like to see is a re-release of the original Lemmings. So I know there's a crazy Lemmings game that's being developed that's due for release next year, which is a very similar concept. But I would actually like to see a re-release of the original game with more modernised graphics and more modernised controls and possibly multiplayer. Yeah. Because that was that was a fun little game back in the day and myself and a friend sunk a lot of hours into solving the solving the different levels yeah yeah look i i had a hard time sort of choosing uh there there were so many incredible games and you know things like uh sim farm which was i guess one of the lesser of the popular ones in the sim series but um you know you had the incredible machine which i believe they made sort of slightly modern versions of yeah there is um there is one that um, I've got in my collection. Um, it goes by a different name now, but it is essentially the same game. And if I find my uh, Steam window, uh, which I thought I had open. Um, nothing like preparation. Yeah, nothing like preparation for the... For the <laughs> but while you're finding that, I, I think I'd have to say if, if there was a game from my past which was nostalgic... If I wanted to see it created again, it'd probably have to be Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. Um, that that was one of those classic CD-ROM games from the the mid forty uh, mid nineties. Sorry, forties. Yeah. What, what am I thinking? So yeah, I found the original game. So it's Contraption Maker. Nice, nice. Which yeah. is, I believe, a, almost a, almost identical to the original game, but just modernized. Yeah. Oh, look, I, there are a ton of good games, and I think the '90s and certainly the the, the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, were um, there were some phenomenal games released, and uh, I think if developers spent or, or gave half a crap that they do uh, did that did back then, I think would have some pretty amazing games today. Not to say you know every game released today's uh, crap, but they seem to be very short lived, um, yeah. which is kind of sad you know but yeah i think uh where in the world is coming san diego would have to be my pick for a modern release yeah i, I remember playing that on an apple II machine when i was in high school like they went um brought out a machine like this was basically at an open day that um i was able to help out with it would have been about year eight or year nine mm-hmm and yeah they actually pulled out an apple II machine which i didn't realize that the school even had oh, wow. and they basically said oh can you check to see if uh come, where in the world is coming san diego works on this um <laughs> because 
you know, we want to use it for the for the uh, actual open day. And mm. fire the machine up, put the disc in, it worked. So, Of course it did. Yeah. Old technology. Yeah, so this was an Apple II GS, which is, I think, the, in terms of the Apple II series, that was the ultimate machine to get your hands on. And if you try and find one now, prepared to raid your bank account in a major way to actually get your hands on one. Yeah. I think I have an Apple IIe. IIe? Somewhere. Anyway, I've got yeah. an old Apple somewhere. Yeah, so I, I've the, not used it. <laughs> yeah, so the 2GS was this one with a 16-bit CPU uh, with with better graphics and sound that had compatibility with the older 8-bit machines. Yeah. And they actually limited it deliberately... Uh, because this was the end of the line for the Apple II machines, and they deliberately crippled it to, I think, four point something megahertz, um, because otherwise they realised it was going to be a better machine than the original Macs, and it was going to hurt the, sa- the sales of the Macs that Steve Jobs really wanted to push. Yeah. Definitely. So they sort of crippled it to not hurt the sales of the Mac too much. Well, yeah, uh, I think that was gaming, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I, think you, I think you summed up about thirty years of gaming for me yeah, in this episode. Yes, yes. Uh, but I think uh, we might start wrapping this show up. Um, so, yeah, if you want to keep track of the reviews I'm putting out for some of the retro stuff, um, you can go on to www.geekjabber.com. Um, you can. Um, in the social links there at the top right you can get access to our discord server and our twitter feed so you can um sort of be notified of um when when i actually publish stuff and hopefully get a little bit chatty about some of the games and so we hope to see you over there soon yeah well thanks for having me again not a problem (laughs) well uh yeah We'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks, I suppose. Sounds good. And I think we will call this episode here. Bye. Catches. <laughs>